While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. to be moving do you want it to be moving woes we didn't talk about moving woes last time um we can talk about moving woes we can talk about how it's almost the end of august or it's almost the end of july it's almost the beginning of august what do, all right what are you gonna say about that what's what's your open there what's your beat what's your joke guys the month's almost over jokes summers, summers haha joke by. thanks eeyore <laughs> shut up <laughs> just because like what a lie it is to tell little kids that summer's awesome because in real life you grow up and summer's just as busy as all the other times except it's also really stupid hot well yeah but i mean it's not <clears throat> it's not kids fault that that they don't no, have I'm not responsibilities saying, I'm just, I'm, no i'm just saying that like those poor kids are gonna grow up and then they're gonna have to deal with grown-up summers <laughs> yeah that i mean that is really true I feel bad for them. I spent a lot of summers indoors, not necessarily reading as much as I should have. And which is why we have to do this podcast. Which is why now. we have to do this podcast. It's so. punitive. It's a court order. I know. I missed so many. Well, actually, I did a lot of summer reading. I did some of those reading programs when I was a kid. I know we've read like sixty books that you were supposed to read in school, but well, didn't. that's different. So far, I was supposed so to read them didn't. in school. No, I don't think any of them have been summer assignments yet. I think I read all my summer assignments. You got summer assignments or you just assigned yourself the books? No, no, no. We had summer assignments. Like you had to come in with a paper written based oh, on the man, book. Like long term homework. That's that's a bummer. Yeah, dude. It was the that's worst. A bummer. That's a bummer summer. It's a pretty bummer summer. I mean I wouldn't really get around to it till August, <laughs> which is probably why I'm having agita about this next month starting. Um, Wait, why why do you have agita? Because you were just you were just giving me guff about opening the podcast talking about the changing of the month. I think I was trying to loop it back around and then I realized that you were the one who had agita. <laughs> didn't really plan that very well <laughs> good segue it's just a snake eating its own tail oh god let's get out of this ouroboros let's start this podcast <laughs> thanks for listening to overdue it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig and my name is andrew and in case you haven't guessed each week uh one of us reads a book that we should have read by now whether it be a book from our shelves or a book from the world that we just should have gotten around to and then we share it with the other person, and we share it with you, whether or not you've read it, whether or not you care to know anything about it. Hopefully you do care. But you really should have guessed the premise by now. Like, what's what's wrong with well, you? Well, it's not a guessing Get game. out of here. I mean, there was plenty of clues. We, had, we made a whole website full of clues <laughs> as to what this podcast is about. We talked about books in this open more than we did last week when we had a royal baby fever, which know. has broken. The doctors tell me that my prognosis is good. Do you and, know um, anything about that baby? As long as it doesn't recur, I think I'm in the clear. If there's another royal baby, all bets are off. But do you, did you even learn anything about this royal baby? His name is George 
Louis Armstrong. <laughs> George Stephanopoulos. <laughs> George and Seven Costanza. He's the once and future king of England. Okay. All right. Is he going to go into the deep, deep halls or whatever it is? Yes. 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 All right. Definitely, yes. Great. Excellent. So, Craig, you read the book this week. So I did. I read the me. book. I read what the did book. You, what did you read? I read a book called Grendel by a man named John Gardner. And Grendel is a familiar name. You should explain why it sounds familiar to me. <laughs> well done, sir. Uh, Grendel, for those of you who do not recall, is the name of the monster from Beowulf, the first monster from Beowulf. Uh, and we read Beowulf several, several moons ago. So Many moons. Yeah, and when I, uh, when I lifted Beowulf from my high school English class... <laughs> I seem to have also lifted a copy of Grendel and kept it on my shelf my entire life since. Uh, so when we did Beowulf, I figured I might as well follow up at some point with Grendel. So there you go. That's why I read it. So this is essentially Beowulf fan fiction that we're reading at this point. Like we're dipping into the fan fiction at this point. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know that it's fan fiction. It's definitely... <laughs> It's it's not any other type of weird fiction like that. Um, how about this? I I would I would venture to call it postmodern, though I won't take the time to venture a definition of postmodern that might be satisfactory. How okay. about that? <laughs> it is uh it is a remix of Beowulf of the Beowulf tale. How about that? Okay, tell how what so in Beowulf. You had Grendel, and then you had Grendel's mom, and then you had, at the end, there was a dragon. Guess so what? It, they're all in it, this one. Guess what? Are they all in it? Yeah, they're all in are it. Are they all, like, in high school, and you get to <laughs> you get to read about how they first met? Yeah, and Mr. Belding and Screech are there, but nobody else that you remember is there. It's the new class with Grendel and Beowulf. Grendel's mom. It's Beowulf University. Yeah, Beowulf went off to college. Yeah. <laughs> Beowulf, am I right? It doesn't make any sense. Wait, are you right? What is that? No, I don't think that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, you mean like like Jim Henson's Beowulf babies? <laughs> you never see Grendel's mom above the knees. That's how it works. <laughs> um, so so explain to me why. Did you, why, did you why just say explain to me? Yes. Explain okay. to me why this book. Why is this book a thing? Oh, why is this book a thing? Okay. Yeah. Um, Do you know? I don't... Well... It was written in 1971. That's that's one reason why it's a thing. A dude wrote okay. it in 1971. Uh, and so we have this book now. Um, I was reading a little bit about John Gardner. Apparently, early on in his life, he uh, his brother was killed in a, a uh, tractor accident. I think that's correct. Oh, yikes. Um, and he happened to be uh, driving the tractor um, while that happened. So he seemed to have, and, and Gardner has passed away since. Uh, I think he passed away in the eighties. Um, but he uh, seemed to carry a lot of that guilt throughout his life, and it seems to have informed uh, what writing he did have. And he was also uh, a celebrated teacher, a university professor, and a, and a literary critic. Um, so there's a lot of nihilism and a lot of fatalism in Grendel which we can kind of get to uh, as we dive deeper into the book. 
but this seems to be kind of taking a tale that is one of the oldest in the English language and picking apart why we tell stories at all and what their use is and perhaps wondering if they do have a use at all and, and what our place in them is. Because um, he did pick a character who exists in this oldest story that we have who is largely exists to be killed by the hero um, mm-hmm. and decides to turn him into a protagonist, although... You know, likable protagonist is not really on the top of John Gardner's priorities. So, I suppose that's why this book. I mean, there was a there was a book that I just dropped something. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it wasn't the book; it was something else. Um, John Gardner wrote a book called Moral Fiction, or on Mor- on Moral Fiction, and uh, it was a couple years after he published Grendel, actually. But it caused quite a row because he was kind of asserting that fiction at the time um, was not moral and was not tackling uh, universal human values. And he, you know, he wasn't saying that fiction should espouse some sort of, you know, narrow morality or, you know, be in line with any one particular religion or anything like that. But I think he was reacting negatively to whatever contemporaneous uh, contemporary fiction at the time, which was like John Updike and Thomas Pynchon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, I guess, took a couple stabs at, at it on his own. Okay. So is Grendel like kind of an anti-hero in this book or he, he is he a villain and you just get to understand like more of his motivations or he doesn't like... really understand his motivations. Let's start there. <laughs> okay. He kind of is just this animal who happens to have language. And that's the first thing that this book does that is, you know, obviously different from the original is that Grendel has all sorts of language. Um, and he kind of is another part of the book that makes it, I don't know, for very, for lack of a better word, very mid 20th century um, and very postmodern is that it, you know, it has all sorts of anachronistic language. Like Grendel drops the F the bomb all the time. Like it's not <laughs> in any sort, parts of it are very heightened and lyrical and poetic. And then, you know, there's a scene where, he curses out one of the knights while throwing apples at him, basically making fun of him for being a conventional hero. Uh, So he kind of, and when we get to the dragon, when we start talking about the dragon, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but the language is all over the place. So there's kind of this sense that Grendel is, I don't, I don't want to say completely out of time, but the story itself is, is not adhering to the setting of the, tale if that makes Mm -hmm. sense Uh, so grendel is this this monster and he doesn't know why he exists his mother cannot speak um or if she ever could uh she has lost all you know language and he doesn't really remember a time when she had it you know Mm -hmm. um there's this scene pretty early on uh uh, where he's describing her and they live in like the bottom of this pit that's like underneath the earth, um, which is where Beowulf ends up diving to go kill her later. Um, and he's talking about her in really, you know, unflattering language. He calls her a life bloated, baffled, long suffering hag. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Grendel. Um, <laughs> he says, guilty, she imagines, of some unremembered, perhaps ancestral crime, parentheses, she must have some human in her. 
Um, and then he says, not that she thinks, not that she dissects or ponders the dusty mechanical bits of her miserable life's curse. And he starts asking her, why are we here? Why do we stand in this putrid, stinking hole? And he says, she trembles at my words. Her fat lips shake. Don't ask her wiggling claws implore. She never speaks, he says. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is, you know, the the arc of this book is Grendel figuring out, you know, coming to grips with why he's in the world at all and what his role in the world is, um, which is an interesting tack, I think, to take for the monster of a classic hero's tale. Yeah, so is is he just, like, smarter than his mom and, like, the other non-speaking animal entities that that he encounters or or like what is is that important to the story at all yeah he's definitely not dumb he's you know he has plenty of language at his disposal um there's a whole scene where he make he makes fun of goats a lot like he talks about like there's this goat on a hill that he yells at all the time (laughs) and kind (laughs) of i wish i i wish i had bookmarked the quote i really don't i really don't have the section where he makes fun of the goat because he just like who who hasn't yelled at a goat though (laughs) like have you ever seen just to go on a goat tangent, I love <laughs> I love going. There was a farm uh, near uh, my old house where I grew up, and at the farm they have one of those structures that is really just a series of ladders with like boxes in between, like slatted like platforms, and okay. goats just climb up it. And there's just always a goat at the top who's just king goat, and he's not <laughs> up there for any reason other than goats like climbing on things <laughs> um goats are real stupid and they have square eyes which just weirds yeah. me out i don't like does goats. it does do they get your goat oh shut up <laughs> jeez so he's yelling at goats he's yelling at goats um and then there's one whole story where he kind of gets in a in a fight as it were with a bull so what he does he he gets stuck in and this is like 20 pages in. He's kind of running around the countryside discovering his own dominion over the other animals, like making fun of goats. And like he yells at nature a lot, which has this kind of very existential vibe to it. But on, on some level, it almost feels literal. Like he yells at the sky and then is kind of like upset that there's no response, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he gets trapped in a tree like he like. He's running, I don't know what it is, like he, he, what is it, he catches his foot in a crack where two old tree trunks joined, and he just kind of gets stuck there. And he kind of turns into this giant baby and starts crying for his mom, and then this bull shows up and, like, stabs him in the leg with his horn. Alright. And then he kind of does an about-face where, like, after a while he realizes that that is the best the bull can do. So even though the bull has totally wounded him and he can't get away, he just, like, starts thinking that the bull is real stupid um, and that that helps him, like, okay. deal with it. Uh, um, let me, let me, I'm going to try and find the, uh, the quote where he, he does it. At this point, he ends up laughing after this. Um, but he realizes, he says... Um, the the bull misses him at one point because he figured out how to dodge it even though he's stuck in the tree. And he says, He'd struck too low, and even in my terror I understood that he would always strike too low. He fought by instinct, blind mechanism, ages old. He'd have fought the same way against an earthquake or an eagle. I had nothing to fear from his wrath but that twisting horn. So he's kind of like, he's 
he's just looking around nature and just seeing that nature is just a series of things that are going to happen mm -hmm. and they don't have any agency if that makes sense yeah and it seems like from that passage that you know he's definitely drawing a line between himself and the other animals because clearly like he can reason and he can respond to stimuli like he he can he can think about it and he's not just acting on instinct all the time despite not being like human yes and then it's funny enough two pages later he encounters man and a bunch of hrothgar who is the king of from beowulf a bunch of hrothgar's men discover him trapped in this tree and they don't know what to do with him and then he starts making all sorts of noise so they try to kill him and then his mom does end up showing up and like killing a bunch of them and saving him and taking him back uh under the under the lake or whatever it is so there's no attempt made to like understand the the not quite animal not quite human thing they just kind of go right to trying to kill him well, they think he's some sort of spirit and there's one that's like trying to feed them feed it pig um and they don't quite know what to do with him and then he starts um making noise and one of them throws an axe at him and uh it was because he he starts trying to communicate with them because he realizes that he understands their language um, but I guess because he's a monster, like, they don't realize that he's actually speaking their language at first. Um, and then uh, his mom shows up and saves him. Um, there's no, really no explanation for why she decided to come and save him other than that she does. So where is the overlap in in this book and in the, like, you know, the classic Beowulf myth? Like, is it is it the events from Grendel's? you know point of view is it kind of like a prequel or like, i would what characterize is the most of it as a prequel um a lot of you don't get to beowulf until the very very end and he never even calls him beowulf ever um he just refers to him as this hero mm -hmm. that and it's funny because there there are time like that is the one save the dragon which we'll, we'll get to um save the dragon Beowulf is the one character that Grendel looks at and is kind of frightened of in a real powerful way. But he also mm -hmm. remarks that that is exciting to him and he can't he can't avoid testing it out if that makes sense. Yeah, um, definitely. Which leads him to to lose to Beowulf ultimately. So okay, I want I want to ask you about the dragon because you brought it up a couple times. But is there any other stuff that you feel like you need to explain before that? I realize I just keep kind of jumping in and trying to figure out like how this story is connected to, you know, the main the main pale wolf myth. So and okay, so here's okay. So the main the let me let me tie those connections together because I think it'll it'll actually paint a picture of of what the dragon ends up talking about. Great is it is a prequel, and I would be. What I can't tell you is whether or not any of the like quote unquote back like flashback moments that happen in Beowulf where they sing a song about a bunch of stuff that Hrothgar or his elders did. I can't recall if if that is what is being referenced here, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um there's what Grendel watches Hrothgar like he watches men slowly 
fight each other and kill each other over small bits of land for like, you know, there's 30 or 40 of them fighting each other. And then he slowly watches Hrothgar become a king by paying out other men to fight other men for him. And he kind of watches that initial brutality give way to some sort of weird, you know, king system. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so he's, you know, he's following that whole thing and then he starts attacking them and that's all of the stuff that is kind of like talked about in Beowulf but is not necessarily in the story you know now what's his what's it now as I recall from Beowulf there's not like I don't recall Grendel having like much of a motive right am, nope. am I re- misremembering so mm-hmm. do we get any of that in this or is he just like oh, I'm kind of bored I'm going to attack these guys. There's an, see what happens. There's an animalistic instinct to it. Um, he kind of surrenders to this rage that he feels about them. Um, and so he can and can't like control his baser instincts. Like He can yes. to an extent, but they still ultimately run, run his life. Yes, and, par- and part of what we'll get to is he then kind of dons the mantle of evil of the evil one um based on watching his interactions with them so what happens is the big the big shift that happens once he starts watching hrothgar's men and this is where it kind of ties in interestingly to beowulf is that he watches what he calls the shaper who is this blind man who is the lead like singer poet of hrothgar's house of his mead hall presumably one of the men who would have either written or you know created the oral history of Hrothgar or Beowulf, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. Um, and this, what the Shaper does, and I'm going to try and find the page while I'm talking, the Shaper starts bringing up these ideas of the power of story, the idea that history can be rewritten with powerful poetry or powerful song. Um, what is the quote? Uh, there's a quote. That he, you know, he listens to this shaper sing a bunch of songs about Hrothgar's elders. And uh, he says, What was he? The man had changed the world, had torn up the past by its thick, gnarled roots, and had transmuted it. And they, who knew the truth, remembered it his way. And so did I. Um, So there's this idea that, you know, the shaper has a handle, can control history just because the men prefer his song. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, that ties into like the, you know, history is written by the winners or, you know, that old, that old chestnut. Yeah. And and meanwhile, Grendel has no sense of that prior to this moment, you know? Um, And then what happens a couple pages later is uh, there was one of the, one of the knights um, who, oh, this has nothing to do with knights. This has something to do with Cain and Abel, actually. Um, the shaper starts singing again, and Grendel says, The harp turned solemn. He told of an ancient feud between two brothers, which split all the world between darkness and light. And I, Grendel, was the dark side, he said in effect, the terrible race God cursed. I believed him. Such was the power of the shaper's harp. So from that kind of moment, which is about a third of the way through the book, you start to get the sense that in relationship to these men, Grendel starts to see where he belongs and his place is that of the monster. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so like how much of that is 
because you're talking about the shaper like shaping things like is does the shaper cause this to happen just by i I think that's kind of what grendel's arguing yeah or at least what grendel's experiencing you know um or maybe that's what john gardner is arguing you know is that these these oral histories are what kind of changed the world for these men in this scenario you know the Mm -hmm. stories that you tell yourself and tell each other or like you know grendel doesn't what his motivations are aren't important because he's just the monster and he's the monster because that's what he is like it almost seems like it's that's cyclical what's going on here yeah you know? and and then what happens it's like is, a self-fulfilling kind of thing it is because then what happens is he goes to the dragon and the dragon is this weird kind of like smog like character who uh talks to him and and kind of belittles grendel um and like he tries to he like beckons Grendel to even speak to him, and Grendel can't because he's so like terrified of this giant monster. Isn't that a thing that happens in Beowulf too? Like the dragon is making fun of Beowulf or whatever ward it is that eventually. I, yeah, I think him. that's true. Yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep remembering things from Beowulf, whether I'm actually remembering them or I'm making no. them up because they're like thematically convenient. <laughs> that's totally fine. Um, and the the dragon is one of the one of the characters that has a lot of anachronistic speech that happens. Um, one of the things he says is, uh, <laughs> he says on he says later in the book he says now you know how they feel when they see you eh? so it kind of like changes the whole hierarchy stru- like the the status structure of grendel who's this terrible monster who strikes heart fear in the hearts of men and he's cowering at this dragon right and puts him in his place and he says scared enough to pee in their pants you didn't did you and then he's like accusing grendel of peeing himself and he goes good that's valuable stuff you're standing on boobies hemorrhoids boils slaver like what are you what are you saying dragon what are you talking about (laughs) like it doesn't i don't know why he does that on another page the dragon says fiddlesticks and he's like fiddlesticks that's what i said what are you why fiddlesticks like so what what starts to emerge is that this dragon has this kind of like long view of history where he can see the future but he can't change it sure um, he says, you know, dragons don't mess with your piddling free will. He says, um, my knowledge of the future does not cause the future. It merely sees it exactly as creatures at your low level will call things in the past. Um, even if I interfere, even then I do not change the future. I merely do what I saw from the beginning. So much for free will and intercession. So here's what all, where all of that idea of kind of fatalism and nihilism comes in. Where mm-hmm. it's like the dragon's like you don't even worry about it. Just do what you're supposed to do. You can't change it. Like, what do you think you're gonna be able to change? You're just a monster, you know. Um, and you know, Grendel tries to protest him and say that perhaps he could change or you know avoid this scenario. And the dragon says, you are mankind, or man's condition, inseparable as the mountain climber and the mountain. So, without man, Grendel, Grendel doesn't have a role, and without Grendel, man does not, you know, reach his full glory. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of... That relates, I guess, into, in, back to the original version of the story, in that, like, you can't 
have that heroic arc without these monsters to overcome. And then you look at that role of the monster and you're like, well, where do I fit into the picture at all? It's like you as you exist to be defeated. You exist to menace, um, which is an odd realization to come to. And I think that that theme is one that we've encountered a few times. Like I'm thinking of Jekyll and Hyde specifically Mm -hmm. where like, there's this idea that good and evil both kind of need each other to exist because one needs to be like one needs to be relative to the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And we've talked about it with Frankenstein. Like there are a lot of spots in this book that actually reminded me of, of the passages in Frankenstein where he's just watching men exist and kind of marveling at them. Um, but there's actually, there's a quote later in the book where Grendel's kind of rationalizing why he just hasn't killed Hrothgar yet, even though he doesn't like him at all. And he basically says, like, what would the Rothgar wrecker be without a Rothgar to wreck? You know, <laughs> kind of like a very, like, well, if, you know, what am I supposed to do if I don't have anyone to fight? You know what I mean? Um, he doesn't just assume that someone will, someone equally worthy of his attention will spring up to replace Rothgar. It I, seems like a, seems like it would be a given. That would be the way, that would be the way to absolve yourself of that thought. That's true. <laughs> um <laughs> Sorry, I broke your book. No, that's okay. Um, but kind of one of the one of the metaphors that carries forth throughout the book is that um, I don't know if there's a, a, a literal smoke from the dragon that kind of encompasses Grendel or not. The reason that Grendel can't get injured by swords, which I think is referenced in the original Beowulf, is the dragon kind of places this charm on him or a curse, depending on the way you look at it. So he actually can't be pierced by any weapons. Um, and that's the dragon's doing. And that's that's something that Grendel discovers and then kind of empowers him to be even eviler, as it were. Um, and, and, you know, menace a bit more. Mm-hmm. But what Grendel carries with him from then on is this, this notion of the smell of the dragon. Um, that whenever, which to me kind of is, is very like biblical knowledge in a way. Like, Grendel has gained this view of how the world works that is very bleak and very immutable. Mm-hmm. And whenever he encounters um, aspects of mankind that he could just as easily ignore and not be enraged by or, um, you know, anything that he could choose not to do, it references the smell of the dragon on him and then he just decides to go do it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, a lot of the attacks on the on Hrothgar's meat hall or there's this moment where he where Hrothgar gets a wife and he kind of marvels at her and really you know finds her moving and and powerful and then he thinks he could just kill her because why not and then he thinks well why would I kill her there's no reason to do that either and he's just kind of frustrated by by that whole situation that the knowledge has bestowed upon him Mm -hmm. um so there's this idea that kind of like he may have been better off before he was driven to go see the dragon. Um, sure. And gained a greater sense of who he was, if you can call it a greater sense. Um, and then the yeah, other, definitely, definitely very biblical because, you know, the whole tree of knowledge thing and you go and you eat of it and then bad stuff happens <laughs> or like, do do you know what I mean? Do you know? Oh like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The parallel I'm trying to draw. <laughs> do you want to do you want to draw it again? You're being you're being kind of quiet over there. Sorry, I was leafing through the book. I apologize. Do you want to draw it again? No, no. It's just um, 
Yeah, like, and going back to the Cain and Abel thing, like, all of this is very, like, I, I guess biblical is the best word, so I'll just come back to it. It's very biblical because, you know, Adam and Eve eat of the tree of knowledge, and then they get kicked out of the garden, and they gain this knowledge, but at what cost? But it's almost, but, like, Grendel's original garden was really crappy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's not like he was in this paradise. <laughs> And then became a creature full of sin. It's more just that, like, he may or may not have had any aspirations to become greater than that, and then was told, no, you are that. Yeah, you just are what you are, and there's no getting around it. Yeah. um, Oh, oh God, I might have missed a quote. There's a great quote earlier on about where he realizes, he thinks he's alone in the world earlier on about... um, with the with the animals and i might have missed that but there's one later where he um talks about um you know oh it's when he's excited to for the coming of beowulf because he's gonna um he's excited that he might um deal with hrothgar in this crazy way um and he talks about um thinking whether or not he was afraid of the strangers and and kind of watching men do mysterious things. And he tells this story about watching a man who had a wonderful family and a fair reputation, and he wasn't given to foolishness or crazy passions. And all of a sudden, he crept down to another family's house and slept with another guy's wife. And he doesn't know why. And he says, and Grendel says, tedium is the worst pain. Uh, all order, I've come to understand, is theoretical, unreal. Uh, two snake pits. Um Violence is truth, but the old, uh, great, that's it, because I'm kind of editing <laughs> as I go. Um, so he's, you know, he's looking at this quote-unquote ordered world and just, you know, coming to his own realization that that is completely not the case. Um, right, yeah, it's all, like, it's all imposed upon, upon you know, the randomness and the, the chaos of just everyday life, and we try and put try to put it into patterns to like make it more predictable and which is which is all it could fall the, apart really quickly yeah which is you know going back to him picking apart the telling of stories you know and and at least from grendel's perspective what these stories serve to do which is you know he watched these men just kind of destroy each other and then one guy made it out and so they sang songs about how great he was and he's like that's totally not how it happened i watched it the whole time yeah. But these are this is the story that they will choose to believe. Otherwise, their world will fall apart. Yeah, because this is like this is like reminding me of Breakfast of Champions too. Like this is this is a mad callback podcast. Yeah, right. Um, what is there's a whole another section. I don't even. I've kind of lost why it the the section is taking place. Hrothgar has this nephew called Hrothulf, um, and there's this kind of underpinning of tension between. Hrothulf and Hrothgar, um, even though it never really comes to a head. And Hrothulf is, like, wandering through the the forest with this old pe- peasant that he hangs out with. Um, and it goes into this crazy, anachronistic discussion of what the state is. Um, and this is what he says. What it, the, the old guy says, What is the state in a time of domestic or foreign crisis? The answer is obvious and clear. Uh, if a few men quit work, the police move in. If the borders are threatened, the army rolls out. 
public force is the life and soul of every state, not merely army and police, but prisons, judges, tax collectors, every conceivable trick of coercive repression. The state is an organization of violence, a monopoly in what is it, what it is pleased to call legitimate violence. It's like, what is this language? What are we talking about? Man. <laughs> like, the 60s just roll up sometimes <laughs> and just say, hey, we're the 60s. I know you're, I know you're reading this <laughs> book. That's technically inspired by a classic, but oops, Vietnam. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, like that's that's kind of because you're, if you're wondering why, like why go back to this epic poem and like mm-hmm. update it and like revisit it. And there's there's actually another book that I that I have not read, but I thought of when when you you know when you started talking about Grendel is um it's called the Penelopeid. And it is like a chunk of the Odyssey, as oh, told interesting. from yeah, as told from Odysseus's wife's perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's about like, it's yeah. Like, this was written in like 2005. It's a Margaret Atwood. Uh, oh, it's book, a Margaret Atwood book. Okay. Yeah, and um, it's all about like gender roles and double standards and and you know using the classical myth to comment on on modern things which is again some you know a, a kind of a theme that we deal with a lot on this on this show yeah yeah i think we're drawn to stories that still have some you know some relevance despite despite having been written a long time ago yeah and and also like one of the sections that i found really entertaining was that section i referenced earlier where grendel is fighting with this guy named unferth uh, who's one of the knights under hrothgar before beowulf shows up and he shows up, and he kills a bunch of dudes, and then he gets in a fight with Unferth, and Unferth is, like, using this high heroic language as he's getting ready to fight him, and Grendel's just throwing apples at him, like, just humiliating <laughs> him, and, like, using goofy language, and calling him a brat, and, like, cursing, and Unferth realizes that Grendel can talk, and he's kind of insulted that Grendel is treating him not like the hero that Unferth thinks he is. Mm-hmm. And it's this moment where the the villain of the story gets to pick apart the hero or the supposed hero for even pretending to be one. Um, and I think that's that's part of what this story is about is that, you know, at least from the narrator's point of view, that none of these heroes are as clean or as uh, noble as they pretend to be or as they are recorded in song. You know. Right. Yeah. Just just like how Grendel is the villain because because he's the villain because people say he's the villain because that's like the role that he's supposed to have. The heroes are the heroes because that's who they're supposed to be. And like it doesn't matter if they're conflicted or if that's not how stuff happened. It's just like these are the roles that they are assigned and these are the roles that they play. Well, and it, in a very that's a very nihilistic view. You know that you can't escape those roles. Um, that was something that you know not to make too pop culture of a reference, but like that was what was really unnerving about the dark Knight in a way. Um, like that was a lot of the speeches that the Joker would give in that movie. Like that's <laughs> mostly what that movie was, you know, of like, you need me because otherwise you don't have anything to do. Um, and you're just as terrible as I am, but we play these roles and that's the point. Yeah. Um, and then the the other thing that I haven't really talked about at all, because I'm not really quite sure how to talk about it on the podcast, is that in addition to some of the, uh, you know, anachronistic speech, 
there's some non-conventional uh, structure in how the book is written. There are times where it becomes a play, or not really a play, but it's at least written in dialogue form, mm-hmm. like character's name and then what they say. You know what I mean? There's sure. a series where there's a there's a whole chapter where uh, Grendel is like dealing with these priests, Hrothgar's priests, and kind of like defacing, or not defacing, I think he actually really wants their religion to hold up, and then uh, he is the destroyer that they sing about, and, you know, it doesn't go well. Um, but those priests speak in, like, dialogue form. There's actually a couple sections, either when the Shaper is singing, or even when um, the story is being told by Grendel, that get written in a verse form that is very similar to the original Beowulf. Mm-hmm. Um, they follow the same kind of four-stressed poetic structure in quatrains, and it doesn't rhyme, but it uses some alliteration. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not quite prepared at this point to tell you why, <laughs> other than that, um, I know that John Gardner did write a lot of poetry and did do a lot of, you know, experimental stuff with structure maybe not experimental for that time um but at least non-conventional you know writing on the page and you know the book is very poetic just in how it how grendel expresses himself anyway um so that's not too much of a surprise but like you know towards the end of the book there's just like scene the queen beside hrothulf's bed welthyow who's the queen speaks and then these names yeah i know and then she speaks (laughs) in verse like so sad so young and even in sleep worst times are yet to come my love the babes you comfort when they weep will soon by birthright have and it's like okay we'll soon by birthright have all these golden rings sorry it continues i didn't mean to stop in the middle of a sentence (laughs) um but it's he uses a lot of parentheses he'll say end quote sometimes like it's like he I don't know. It's it's an odd thing where he knows he's talking to it. It's aware of the reader in a way that's interesting, even though it's never calling itself a story, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Um, which is weird. But, I mean, interesting. It Sometimes it made it a little harder to read than the passages that I really enjoyed. Like, the dragon scene is great except it it goes into crazy dense philosophical speech that seems to border purposefully on nonsense um which is fun but (laughs) it was kind of a chore to get through and and then it was harder to follow the action in the verse because the verse was i think meant to ape verse before it was meant to convey the story does that make sense Mm -hmm. whereas the verse in Beowulf, its main job is to convey the story, and he's using it to like comment thematically on on certain moments. So that would be like the next level thing if you were gonna write a paper on Grendel, which I'm sure some people have done. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so okay, before we finish up, like, tell me, like, how does the story come to a head? Like, is it just like Beowulf and Grendel meet? Is that is that the like how does that meet up go in this in this story? Um, he's, he starts fighting Beowulf at the end and he never calls him Beowulf. He just kind of refers to him as the stranger, I think is the main thing he calls him. Um, 
I'm trying to remember if he, I'm trying to see if I if I miss any other thing. Um and there's this like section where Beowulf has, you know, pulled Grendel's arm behind his back and he may or may not be um, Grendel may or may not be imagining that Beowulf is like whispering in his ear, you know, mocking him basically. Mm-hmm. Which I think it, I think it's I think it's in Grendel's head. I don't think that Beowulf is actually doing this to him. Um and then he rips off his arm and you know Grendel realizes that that's actually happening and that he will probably die. Um and he says he ref, ben, Grendel refers to his death as an accident. He doesn't say that he was beaten. Um, he says blind, mindless, mechanical, mere logic of chance. That is his dying argument about uh, how he died. He clings that's, to he clings that's to that. Interesting, because yeah. the rest of the book is about how there is no such thing <laughs> as chance, and everything happens exactly as it's meant to happen. You know, I I, uh, I think it's actually somewhere in between because it's like everything is meant to happen, but you had no control over it in the first place. Like it was all in a way you could look at it in a way that it was. This sounds it's like a oxymoron, but it, that it was like preordained by chance. Like a hmm. bunch of stuff was going to happen, and you had no chance to change it. So live your life, have fun. But you probably won't yeah. have fun because now you know about it, and this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like he could never be the anything that was going to bring Grendel down was just part of this, you know forever march of nature that was just kind of this Hobbesian world of death and violence that no one could ever control. Um, and so it's not, it is not the noble act of a hero that defeats Grendel. It is an accident. Um, mm-hmm. And that is his like dying thought. Um, there is like a weird italic, italic line that I see where on like the second to last page where he says, is it joy? I feel like he's not sure. I wonder if there's, you know, going back and reading it again, um, he's not sure if he's in, if he's happy that this is happening. Um, he doesn't seem to be, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, he's he's kind of on, obviously on the fence about whether or not he, <laughs> he would want to die. Um, yeah, it's neat. It's an. I'd, I'd forgotten that. It, thank you for asking that because I'd forgotten that it kind of ended specifically um the last line is poor grendel's had an accident i whisper so may you all man and then it just ends and then there's a bunch of like creepy line drawings of grendel faces (laughs) 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 okay so that's that yeah that's 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 grendel i guess (laughs) you know a feel-good story for you and your whole family um, yeah, right <laughs> careful careful like to be like oh kids grendel <laughs> i would never say oh kids grendel there's too much oh, there's too much f-bomb there's too much the world is terrible there's too much um not too much violence or anything but definitely some some lewd thoughts and some lewd things that happen i just randomly flipped through the book and got back to that page where the dragon says boobies um <laughs> so weird nice <laughs> Uh, well, um, thank you all very much for listening. I mean, we know you were all fated by chance to happen upon our podcast. You had no choice. Yes, we, we thank you anyway. 
Um, if you would like to know more, you can go to www.overduepodcast.com. That is our website. Up there, we have links to our podcast on iTunes. We have an RSS feed. We have a little uh, media player that you can use just click and play the episodes. Um, we also have Amazon links for just not just the book that we read that week, but the books from the next two weeks. If you want to follow along, if you just want to support us, um, go ahead and click those links, order the books through those links. We get a little bit of a cut. We get, you know, we get some sugar and you get to help us pay for hosting and, and books and all that fun stuff. I'm not going to acknowledge what you just said. <laughs> give, come on. Nope. Um, <laughs> another way that you can give us sugar is by uh, hitting us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, the handle is overdue pod. Um, follow us there if you're new to the show or if you already did just let us know that you're out there give us a ping give us a and we a retweet or a, a like or a, a dig or whatever you use <laughs> um, stumble upon I don't delicious know. us um join look us up on linkedin i don't even yeah, know i don't even know but if you have um, any um specific questions or feedback or recommendations uh feel free to send them in to overduepod at gmail.com uh or send them to to the Twitter or Facebook page. We're, we're pretty good about bringing that stuff on the show. Uh, you can also take a second to review us on iTunes. That would be super great just because it helps new people find the show. We would really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, yeah. And if you're on our fa our Facebook page especially, we do tweet. Uh, we tweet the new episodes and we do tweet other stuff sometimes, but I think Facebook is probably where we're the most active. Woo -woo. Um, and to everybody on Facebook who follows us, thank you very much for bearing with us through these summer months as we, <laughs> as we post episodes like at 1159 on Monday night. <laughs> yeah. It's just, we're, you know, we, we haven't talked about it on the show yet, but Andrew and I are both going through or have gone through moves in the past month, um, or we'll be going through one and, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. So we're busy, but we're, you know, committed to getting the, the show out. So even if it's 12 hours later than we would like, uh, <laughs> it's still happening. Yeah. So, uh, thanks again. Um, next week we'll be, do we want to start talking about the, like saying the book we're going to read next week? Assuming they have time to read it in the intervening week. What are they, what are, what should they be excited for? Yeah. Well, uh, next week I'm going to read, uh, flowers for Algernon. Excellent. Algernon? I don't know. I think it's Algernon. If yeah, my, uh, Algernon. knowledge of Oscar Wilde's, the importance of being earnest bears out. It's Algernon. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, so that that's what we're going to talk about next week. That's a prequel we... to The Importance of Being Earnest, right? I don't think so. <laughs> no. Oops. Have you read Ernest Borgnine's biography? The, impor the, the Importance, the importance of, being of Being Earnest. Being yeah. Oh, no. Let's let's pull the plug on this before we just descend yep. into Borgnine-ness. Yep. yep, yep. We're going to eject. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you next week. Later.